0: What do you mean there's no Niagara Ice Dogs news this week? However, the inbox remains filled, which suggests to us that you are looking as forward to the new OHL season just over a week away uh, as we are Dan Mahar over there. You'll find him on Twitter at Dan mahar. My name is Mike Farwell on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. And I think you know the email address, OHLpodcast at Rogers.com, because you've been using it quite a bit. Bruce, we'll get to your email in just a bit. But Dan, as we start this week's episodes, I don't think there's any other place to start than in the steel city of Hamilton, where there are questions now swirling again around the arena renovations and whether or not the Hamilton Bulldogs even had to move out of First Ontario Centre for this year anyway, because the Toronto Rock lacrosse team says we're playing our full season at FOC, which lasts into next spring in and around May, renos were supposed to start in early 2024, say January. So what gives if the rock could be there, the bulldogs could have been there, no?
1: Uh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, there's all these factors. We, we, we look at the financial climate right now, the ability to get contractors, materials, all those things. I think I wouldn't have too much confidence, in any major project going on right now to, to hit timelines that were initially planned. So I think there's all kinds of uncertainty around that franchise, around that arena. And I think this was, I don't want to say predictable, but it's it's something that should have at least been accounted for that the project may not start on time. They had already allowed for the fact that it probably wasn't going to end on time, that that they were going to be in, the Bulldogs were going to be in Brantford for potentially an extra season just, just to buffer against any surprises. So we had a surprise on the front end of this project, I guess, as opposed to the back end. But I think uncertainty is probably the word around that team right now.
0: Almost guarantees a fourth year away for the now Brantford Bulldogs, I would assume, even though the group behind the arena renovation says... Toronto Rock News be damned, we're still planning on starting some of those renovations, which apparently won't interfere with play, but the plan is still to commence that work in early 2024. But you've already lost the basketball team. You've lost the Ontario Hockey League team. Yeah, the the Rock are still going to be there, but I'm just starting to wonder, in all honesty... Kind of like we talk about with Mississauga and previously Brampton, where it's not so much a hockey market as it is a Leafs market. That's why the OHL struggles in the greater Toronto area. I'm starting to wonder if Hamilton is anything other than a CFL town. And I don't mean, to, I don't mean that necessarily as a knock, but I don't know how else you explain this seeming disinterest in any level of hockey by the city council of the day
1: yeah I mean, there's a lot of ways you could look at it, and that's certainly a viable one to a theory anyway that maybe the the city, uh, whether you blame the fans or the the council or whatnot, is just ready to embrace the team long term with the history they've had. And we talked a little bit a little bit about it in our last podcast with some of the brand and identity challenges they've had with the team changing and whatnot. So it just does not seem destined to work in Hamilton anytime soon. and And when you talk about, guaranteeing a fourth year in Brantford well four years is a bit of a commitment and you talk about uh Brantford holding custody <laughs> of the kids for four years I guess <laughs> I I have trouble seeing them going back after that Mike especially if Brantford embraces the team like we're starting to see uh you ask a community to to harbor a team for a year as a favor to a neighbor and kind of support them for a year that's one thing when you do four years you've pretty much got the team now uh they're yours and it would almost be cruel to to pull them away after that duration so i'm with you i'm starting to see more and more writing on the wall here that i'm not sure we're seeing the bulldogs go back i like the way you described
0: it with a bit of a custody battle here and how brantford is embracing the child if that child is the bulldogs franchise because there's no question about it the upgrades and updates that have already been done to the civic arena to get ready for the bulldogs and the ontario hockey league again this year we remember of course brantford used to have the alexanders back in the day but also add to that just earlier this month and this is in keeping with what the mayor of brantford told us on this podcast back in the spring when it was announced that the bulldogs would be relocating for at least three years and he made it very clear even then that the city of Brantford wants to have the Ontario Hockey League back within its borders. And so at a council meeting earlier this month, they talked about becoming a premier destination for sports and entertainment. This is right out of the council meeting minutes. They want to build a state-of-the-art sports and entertainment facility. And they're even looking ahead at a whole bunch of OHL projections, looking at the way the league is growing, the strength of the Ontario Hockey League brand, and even talking about how by 2046, so about 20 years from now, Brantford would be, population-wise, the 11th largest Ontario Hockey League market. So don't think for one second that the city of Brantford is not eager to have the Ontario Hockey League back. And just to twist that knife a little bit more in the backs of Hamilton hockey fans, I mean no disrespect, but your owner, Michael Andlauer, who was all set to go, With a new arena proposal in Hamilton, getting out of First Ontario Centre, building a right-sized junior hockey arena out at the Lime Ridge Mall location, that building, that location could be ready to go this year. The Bulldogs could be playing there, still in Hamilton. And now, you have another city welcoming them with open arms, and if it is a custody battle, good luck getting the courts to decide in your favour, probably
1: four years from now. Well, exactly. And you hit the nail on the head when you talked about all the things Brantford is doing to show that they want this team. And it's not just there's kind of three prongs we talked about earlier, where it's the political desire, the fan base desire, and then the financial slash corporate sponsorship desire. And we're seeing all three come together for Brantford and they're really pouncing on the opportunity to embrace this team. And we've seen this across various sports, like uh, major league sports uh, over the years, as well as minor league When these things happen, there's a temporary shift, a market that really shows demonstrates that they want the team that opens a lot of eyes and and the powers that be have, they notice and they have trouble ignoring it. So Brantford's certainly doing everything right to get this franchise permanently and I don't necessarily see anything stopping them.
0: The Bulldogs are obviously on the minds of Ontario Hockey League fans, maybe even Brantford as a market. That's what Bruce's email is about. He writes to OHLpodcast at rogers.com. I've got a two-part question for you. First part is, how do you think the Brantford Bulldogs will do in their first season in their new home? And second, what's your opinion on a realignment on the division? like a move to the east, for example, from the central for the Bulldogs, would that work? Your OHL podcast, by the way, is awesome. Have a great season. Bruce, we appreciate that. Dan, start us off. How
1: are the Bulldogs
0: going to play? How are they going to be this year in Brantford?
1: Yeah, well, thanks, Bruce, for the email and the compliment. Um, so how's the team going to be on the ice first? I, I, I think they're actually going to probably be a tiny bit better than a lot of the prognostications are suggesting. I know they're a younger team. A lot of turnover after their championship year. We saw some decent returns last year. I think the coaching staff there did a phenomenal job with that team. They made a couple brilliant trades. Um, The trade with Peterborough where they brought in Nick Lardis was just phenomenal. So I think they've got a good growing young group and and even some some veterans there. They had a couple drafted players this year, uh, Cole Brown, Florian Jacki. They got some players that I think are are not going to get pushed around. They're going to play with some jam. They're going to use their body. They're going to play a heavy game. So I don't think there's going to be many nights that they're going to be easy to play against and they're going to get their share of wins. Uh, I haven't put enough thought yet to say where they're going to fish in the standings. I do believe they're going to be a playoff team and I do believe they're not going to be an easy out uh, like some are suggesting. Um, Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, Mike.
0: I was just going to say, so just shameless plug here, a reminder that next Tuesday we'll have our Eastern conference preview and we'll give a little more thought as to, where teams slot in for the upcoming season. We'll make our bold and fearless predictions next Friday. will be our Western Conference preview as we get the season underway. But to Dan's point on the team, I agree with you wholeheartedly, Dan. The Bulldogs are at a point in their cycle where, yes, they're a younger team. Uh, They're not there yet. But if you consider the returns they got after the deadline last year, the Hamilton Bulldogs still Hamilton then, were one of the better teams after the deadline last year. I see no reason that that will stop. I think they're well-coached. They're going to be playing in front of a very friendly and passionate home fan base. And yes, they will get their share of wins. What do you think of the idea of some sort of realignment? We kind of touched on this last week too.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll say, like, I, I shared my thoughts that I think a realignment makes sense in the sense that there are a few teams that look a little geographically misplaced, but I, I do think there are probably a couple of teams that are going to say, Hey, Brantford get in line. Like if we're realigning. We've been waiting to be realigned a few for a few years before you got here. So um, I, I, obviously St. Catherine's down the road, a couple another hour or so beyond where Brantford is for teams from the East. who's also playing against Eastern teams. So I'm fully supportive of a bit of a realignment that makes more sense Uh, Brantford, I'm sure would dearly love to have Kitchener and Guelph as geographical rivals. Um, so some sort of realignment would make a whole lot of sense. I'm just not sure that it's going to get done, uh, anytime soon, just because of how long some other teams have waited for a bit of a shift. I don't think there's a huge desire to do that right now.
0: Yeah. And we kind of did touch on this a little bit last week. It's always a fun conversation. And I've been a big proponent of realignment over the years, usually looking north and figuring we got to get a North division figured out here instead of North Bay and Sudbury being in the East and then Sault Ste. Marie and Saginaw, for example, being in the West. But I don't think anything's going to be perfect. And what I think, and so you kind of take the imperfect alignment that we have now, and you kind of live with it. Cause no matter what you do, I don't think with the geography of Ontario, frankly, and the dense population in Southern Ontario, you're going to get, something that's universally appealing here. I I think what might help, and you brought this up last week, Dan, is some sort of rebalanced schedule so that maybe the Niagara ice dogs and Erie otters, for example, who are the two closest geographic rivals to one another could play each other more often. And yeah, maybe Brantford gets games against Guelph and Kitchener. I don't know, but I think actually redistributing the schedule a little bit might, satisfy some of those calls for a a wholesale realignment.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's probably a more realistic, uh, I wouldn't call it a half measure, but a first step, I guess, to kind of fixing things somewhat for these teams. I totally agree. A a scheduling fix is probably in the cards more than a realignment.
0: I mentioned the dense population of Southern Ontario. Uh, So let me just add this to the mix. It's, It's a little bit inside baseball, but bear with me. Just when we look at... Uh, Brantford, the relocation, the effort being put into the current civic arena and what that's going to look like. The Bulldogs have really come to the table here to make sure that their games, which we're already hearing is a very strong demand for tickets. It's going to be the smallest uh, rink in the Ontario hockey league, fewest number of fans around 3000, but so they're going to do really well at the gate, but they've been doing a ton of work just to make sure their games can be broadcast and and the Bulldogs and Michael and are picking up the tab for this. They've basically built uh, like a little control room, a television kind of control room in the arena. They've run all the necessary wiring. And and what makes it interesting and where I get a little bit inside baseball here for you, but just from my side of things as a broadcaster, Brantford, Kitchener, and Guelph are all serviced out of the same home base, if you will, of Rogers Television. It's like one essential station location serves all three of those markets so guelph and kitchener they kind of figured out a long time ago with brantford coming online they had to figure out what's going to happen if there are games in both cities on the same night how can they televise both etc so the Bulldogs and ownership has really come to the table to spend the money to make that happen, so that the games will be broadcast to fans who can't see them in Brantford. And you're not going to get stuck if you're in Brantford with a Kitchener or a Guelph game, which would probably piss you off. Let's be honest about it. If your Bulldogs are playing, so that's one part of it. And I also have it on pretty good authority that uh, conversations are underway to extend the current agreement between Rogers and the Ontario Hockey League to. Continue with the television rights. So there are two years left and there are built in extensions. By the sounds of things, everybody's interested in the first of those extensions. But I think David Branch, what I'm hearing, would like it to be even longer. He'd probably love another 10 or 12 year deal. I don't know anybody's going to do that right away. But it sounds to me like that's something maybe David Branch wants to put to bed in his final year as commissioner and put to bed for a number of years. So the new commissioner doesn't have to worry about it for five or even 10 or 12 years again. So just some stuff going on behind the scenes that I just recently heard about. They're probably meeting either as we speak today or some point this week, the OHL, and sort of the, the TV executives to figure out what the partnership looks like for the years ahead. But the good news is the appetite remains, of course, to have Rogers remain as a TV partner and continue to broadcast the games wherever it is you've been finding them for all these years.
1: Well, that's phenomenal news. I think there's an awful lot of fans in the Interior Hockey League that have relied on the Rogers coverage over the years. And I think you talked about it in previous pods too, Mike, where – the exposure for the league and the, and the access to these games on TV is such a critical piece for growing the league and growing the game. And it's very wrong-minded of these markets. In the past, they've said, no, we don't want to televise our games because it'll hurt ticket sales. Well, it has quite the opposite effect. And and the story you gave about Ann Lauer basically footing the bill to have this problem solved for the Brantford market is incredible. You need those kind of partnerships and that kind of motivation from, from the owners in your league. And that serves the fan base, and that's what they all should be thinking about. If I'm the
0: Ontario Hockey League, I'm a wee bit worried that Michael and and we've touched on this before, I, I don't know the man as a business person. I've met him a couple of times through my work, obviously. I think he's one of the premier owners in this league. But now that he's got interests, of course, in Ottawa with the National Hockey League, I, I, hope, I hope for the Ontario Hockey League's sake, he stays interested in, in hockey at this level and remains an owner of
1: the Brantford franchise. I sincerely hope so too. And I've, I've heard nothing to suggest otherwise in the short term, but we all know how much of the attention and focus and finances will probably be directed to the to the Ottawa team uh, in the near future. So it's just a fingers crossed scenario. But I think I think Mike Landlauer's intentions over the years have been pretty good around these franchises. And you have to believe he'll leave the franchise in decent hands if he if he did choose to move on. But I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm hoping that's not the case.
0: Bruce, thanks again for the email. Remember, you can email us anytime as well, ohlpodcast at rogers.com. Just before we leave the Bulldogs story and move on, I'll just throw this at you, Dansky. What do the Red Wings, Cups, Steelhawks, Dukes, Canucks, Bulldogs, and Bulldogs have in common?
1: All played in (laughs) (laughs) Cops.
0: They are all teams that played hockey in either the OHL, or the AHL modern era in the city of Hamilton, Hamilton has hung on to precisely zero of those teams. Screw you steel city. We don't want you anymore in the Ontario hockey league. I'm sorry, fans come at me all you want. It's not about you. It's about your city. It's council and it's complete lack of vision and or interest in the Ontario hockey league. Brantford's run the numbers. They want the OHL back. I think we should go to places. We, as if I'm a part of the league executive, I think the Ontario hockey league should go to places where it is wanted. And let's face it, Brantford, it's kind of a right sized OHL market, isn't
1: it? it? It really is, you know, and, and I think they're, they're one of many centers in Ontario. They're demonstrating how easy it is to support a team. If you just come out, you put a little effort in and, I don't, know, Mike. Maybe, maybe Hamilton's politicians and fans would support it better if the LRT dropped them off. But, oh no, never mind. Never mind. I'm not. I shouldn't go there. Shouldn't go there.
0: They can't keep hockey teams, and they can't build light rail. Hamilton, what are you doing right these days? What are you doing right these days? All right. Uh, we still have to talk about the passing of a patriarch, a very bizarre coaching situation, and how it might be bleeding over into the corporate world, and. OHL stands up to be counted at NHL rookie camps this past weekend. All of that still to come on this episode of the OHL podcast. So, Dan, I know that you were following rookie camps, nothing really jumped out and excited the heck out of you, but how about the number? 160 OHLers on their way to participate in those pro rookie camps. Not a bad
1: number for the little old Ontario Hockey League. Not at all. I mean, it's it's phenomenal that they do these tournaments now because the NHL teams want to have this environment for their prospects. But to do it, you need to round out some of these rosters and get them credible competition. And they look heavily to the OHL for this. And it's a phenomenal relationship for for the league as well as the NHL teams. These kids get a great exposure to that level of play, to that coaching, that philosophy, everything around an NHL organization, albeit for a short period of time, but everyone's better off for it and yeah you look at the numbers you just gave Mike about all the OHL players that were at these rookie tournaments this this weekend so yeah when I looked uh scoured the uh, as much as I could for the results and whatnot yeah there was some, not necessarily any eye-popping stats I mean you saw Easton Cowan put up uh, I believe six points for the Leafs in their rookie tournament that was a bit of a a little bit of a stat that jumped off the page perhaps for an OHLer. Um, a few others had had points here and there but it's really about the experience i think mike all the, that these kids got well while, while playing there for the weekend and something they'll never forget and it gives them an idea what they need to make that the next step
0: i know you also liked the way the ontario hockey league seemed to put a little bit of a breather or a gap in even its preseason schedule so that players could go off and participate in these rookie camps without their team being left Really shorthanded even for preseason games, which I agree is is a pretty good thing because we're gonna start the season with some players still away at NHL camps. We know that. And then of course, every Christmas you almost get penalized as a major junior hockey team if you have too much talent because they get sucked up to the world juniors and you know you're missing three, five, six games, depending on how things fall, which could be critical in the standings and for positioning later on. So if even in the preseason, the league puts a little gap in there to help uh soften the blow, if you will, of players being away and participating in these camps. That's some uh that's some forward thinking.
1: Yeah, well it just makes sense, Mike. You, you look at these OHL camps starting now late August and the season doesn't even start till September 28th this year. So you've got a long camp and players start to, you know, go antsy waiting for the season to start. So you have plenty of time to to allow for a little gap for these players to attend the tournaments. And you also used to run into exhibition games in the OHL where you know teams are Dressing 4D and, and eight forwards, kind of thing for those days. And it just didn't make sense. You're risking injury. Your risk of the games aren't that entertaining for the fans. So just pause it, give the kids a chance to go to these camps and play. And and yeah, you just look at uh, some of the opportunities. Like I saw the Buffalo Sabres there had uh, Ethan Miedema had a couple of using that heavy shot and learning to get that away in traffic with some more uh, veteran players playing against him. You saw the Ottawa Sanders rookies. Uh, playing today with uh, four Kitchener Rangers on the roster. Uh, You saw just this, all these OHL names dotted through these rosters. And I think these kids will benefit much more from having spent the weekends doing this than having four weeks of OHL camp.
0: Former Oshawa General Boone Jenner, former London Knight Mitch Marner, and many others, of course, we could probably find factor into this next story, which is not about an OHL coach or even a former OHL coach, but a really bizarre coaching situation and Mike Babcock's probably final connection to a national hockey league team. I can't see any way, Dan that Mike Babcock is ever associated with an NHL team again, after the extremely bizarre behavior in Columbus, where he is alleged to have asked players to show them the pictures on, or to show him the pictures on their phone so he could determine what kind of a person they were. And no amount of backpedaling by either Babcock or the Blue Jackets organization could make this one go away.
1: Well, no. And when Marty Walsh, the head of the NHLPA, flies into Columbus for the investigation, you know, it's a little more serious than, oh, we were just trying to get to know each other, a little bit of an icebreaker. And I think the whole story blew up, as many know, on the Spit and Chicklets podcast, where Paul Bissonnette had heard from some of the players in Columbus. And the suggestion was that not only was he asking to see pictures on the phone, he was actually airdropping them to other people. So kind of a little bit of an invasion of privacy and you have to think there was more to it for, for him to tender his resignation so quickly. And regardless of what what you feel about how severe this transgression was, my question is knowing the track record, knowing what had happened with Mitch Marner in Toronto, et cetera, et cetera. Why was Columbus even hiring this guy in the first place?
0: Okay. So I'm going to come back to that in just half a sec. Paul Bissonette, former Saginaw Spirit, let's get that plug in for the OHL podcast. You think he'll come on our podcast? I mean, if we really ask nicely, he might be a little busy doing the biz nasty thing. I mean, he's built quite the brand for himself. But uh, but anyway, what what's Mike Babcock even, like what was with the hire in the first place? I wanted to talk about this, Dan, because I think it speaks and I'm so reluctant. I'm not trying to, up on my soapbox here and pontificate even though that's exactly the way it's going to sound but this speaks directly in my opinion to the culture of the game and for whatever reason mike babcock even after a four-year sabbatical if you will in college hockey came back to the national hockey league and for whatever's going on in his mind thought that stuff like this was okay it's not now it never was and the good coaches in the national hockey league and across major junior in the CHL have figured out the way that we coach and the way that we motivate today. And it's a brand new way. It's a much different way than the way it used to be and good riddance to bad rubbish in, in, in terms of Mike Babcock. I just really hope that the game and and I use the, the holy we here in hockey has kind of figured out that this is a symptom of a really, some rot at the core of the culture of the game.
1: Oh, for sure. And I look at it a little different. I look at like, this is a problem that we're trying to route out and it's going to be a long game. I think a lot of people thought we could come in with heavy messaging about how wrong this was, make examples of a few people and then correct things in a year or two. This culture was so ingrained through the forties, fifties, sixties, like going back decades that a lot of these people. And, and in fairness to Mike Babcock, you're talking about a guy that grew up in this, like his whole career was built on this and his brand and his style. And this notion that the dressing room sacred and there's a code and you don't, you don't, what happens in the room stays in the room and the tactics are kind of between the coach and the players. And well, all that really does is create the proper environment for cover-up of really nasty stuff and unhealthy stuff. And And yeah, I know there's a lot of old school people say, well, this worked for years and now the kids these days don't have discipline and they're soft. And those are all just weak, in my opinion, weak minded excuses for people that can't let go of a culture that really was not good for anyone. And I think it's just going to be a long game, Mike. I think we're seeing what people hoped would be three or four years is maybe going to be 15 to 20 years. And Every time we turn up a rock, we're going to find find another one for a while still, I think.
0: So here's an equally bizarre sidebar to the story. And that is that I have heard that this sort of thing is not necessarily uncommon anymore. Well, it's probably still on the uncommon side. But in the corporate world, in the business world, where you as an employee in, in the name of team building might be asked to do the same thing in a team meeting. Here, show us your phone and let's see the last four pictures. I I will just say that if the company that employs me, hello, Rogers, I'll just tell you this flatly. If you came to me and said that, I mean, I got nothing to hide from you, but that's my stuff to hide anyway. It's like, it's never going to happen If if an employer ever asked you to do that. I think you have every right to A, refuse, and then B,
1: take some sort of action about it. Well, yeah, and it's about knowing where the line is, right, Mike? So when you're talking about exercises to team build or get to know each other, there's a very clear line there. Obviously, you give the person an opportunity to share something about themselves, open up, show who they are, and get to know everyone else in the room. But you're letting them still make that decision about what pieces they're going to share, when the goal becomes to embarrass someone in front of their peers or in front of a group that's where the line clearly gets crossed and obviously the players in Columbus felt that that's what this exercise was doing they weren't being given a choice about what they were showing and who they who they were showing it to that crosses a line the goal should, of any exercise corporately or otherwise should never be to embarrass anyone and i think it's almost a shame that has to be said
0: I take it back. I actually hope Rogers does ask me to see the last pictures on my phone because I just realized that I was at a a station event this past weekend for doors open Waterloo region. And we had people touring. Look, I look like the ultimate corporate shill. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see pictures of our Rogers TV studio right here. They're all over my phone. Rogers, I love you even on weekends. Do you see this? There you go. I hope Rogers wants, I just showed Rogers the pictures. On my phone okay um we would we would be remiss if we didn't touch on the passing of a patriarch we know that Mark hunter at some point will be the winningest coach in ontario hockey league history the only thing that can prevent that is if he gets to one fewer or the same number of wins as the legendary brian kilray and then says no, I defer to the legend. We know that's not going to happen. Mark Hunter will one day, or pardon me, Dale Hunter, yeah. will one day be the winningest coach in Ontario Hockey League history. But Mark and Dale and the Hunters have lost their father, Dick, at the age of 87.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean we know he had uh, been ill for a while. And Mark and Dale and their three siblings, family, uh, five of them had all been rallying around dick for quite a number of years and and it was one of the main reasons why dale wanted to be in london as opposed to pursuing his nhl career uh tight-knit family have been titans in the ohl and i i think when you see a family as accomplished as that and the numbers you just rattled off you have to go back to the parents mom and dad and, and give a lot of credit to to them for the family they raised so yeah nothing more uh to be said at time like this other than condolences to the hunter family for for their loss but uh tip of the cap to to dick hunter for everything he he accomplished in his time i only met the elder
0: hunter once i guess he would travel occasionally with the knights and he came strolling into one of the media rooms i was in many years ago but you talk about the parental influence and it's if it's one thing that i've heard time and again since we learned of passing earlier this month it's that he instilled in his boys the work ethic that is still the calling card of the hunters and the london knights organization first one at the rink last one to leave the rink studying this studying that making sure every little detail is taken care of they work like like farmers and it was farming and (laughs) hockey for mr hunter too it remains i think to be that case for uh his kids and tell you what if there are sports gods and i think anybody who follows sports probably believes in some sort of uh presence around the games well if there are sports gods wouldn't it be the perfect year for the london knights to do something special we already know as we look at the season ahead the knights are going to be a formidable foe for anyone they play why not win one for dick i'll just put that out there ohl fans because i know you love to hate them not him them
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, I think there's a strong possibility that those London Knights are going to do something special this year. And yeah, you hit, you, you hit on one thing I was going to say, which was, if you want to hear an oxymoron, how about lazy farmer? There is, there is no such thing. <laughs> Great so, point. The, uh, yeah, anyone that has that kind of a background comes up with the right work ethic, uh, as anyone who ever lived or worked on a farm can attest. So, uh, And it's showing on the, the hockey rinks of the OHL for the last couple of decades.
0: The countdown is on to a new Ontario Hockey League season, nine days from the day this podcast is released. We'll get the season underway. We've got another episode coming for you this week. We'll talk about some preliminary 2024 draft rankings. In other words, players you could be watching for, should be watching for this year in the Ontario Hockey League. How much pull does a player have anyway? And playing and coaching, not the only pipeline to the pros through major junior hockey. So we've got that to come on our Friday episode when next we appear on your YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcasts. Please do give us a like, subscribe, leave a review, tell a friend about the OHL podcast, send us an email anytime, podcast at rogers.com. My name is Mike Farwell on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. Should I be saying on X now, Dan? I'm forgetting. Should I add? I don't know. Like,
1: I guess. I, I guess. As long as X is going to be around, sure. Yeah.
0: I don't know why Elon went and did that. He's Dan Mahar. Find him on X at Dan Mahar. And we'll have another episode of the OHL podcast for you on Friday.
1: I'm Matt Kundel, host of the Sound Off podcast. The show about podcast
0: and broadcast.